Well, this morning, um, we are kind of narrowing down um, some of our last few um, messages here uh, about elements. And um, last week, we looked at uh, stewardship as revealing around our um, stewardship with our relationship with Jesus Christ and how important it is that our relationship with Christ be based on what Jesus said it must be. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, um, with all of your mind. And I told you uh, last week that the last three elements we were looking about, about stewardship, worship, and prayer, there's a harmony within those three. And today we're going to look at worship. And so if we are loving God with all of our strength, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, it in turn affects our worship to Him. And so next week, uh, we will see how our worship from out of our worship cultivates a prayer life to God. And that's how all those things work together. So these last three are, are very primary Um, in our Christian life. And it's been my prayer that I hope through this series that we've been looking at over these past 10 weeks, that you've come to know God in a greater way, because that's what it's about, knowing God in a greater way. If you live all of your life as a believer in Jesus, but not know who God is in a greater way, you have missed out on your Christian life, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Knowing him in a greater way, having him transform our life, there's, a, there's an inner working of sanctification that is taking place inside of our hearts. Paul prayed it this way to the church at, uh, at Ephesus. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Let's pray together. We'll jump into our message here this morning. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we have uh, to look into your word. And we come to a a topic this morning about worship. So many different um, ideas of what worship is, what worship isn't. And God, we just want to see exactly from your word what you say worship really is. I pray, Lord, that we will put all of our differences aside, that we will put all of our preconceived ideas, that we will take off the glasses of tradition, and that we would look directly to your word. Um, Help us this morning and speak to our hearts. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, so let's look here at what the Bible has to say about worship. What exactly is worship? Well, I want to give you a few things of what worship isn't. And then we're going to look at exactly what God says worship really is. So what is worship? Well, for some, people think that worship is a feeling. I would have to say that worship is not primarily a feeling. Now, although our emotions are tied to that worship, a person can be excited, a person can uh, have joy, and they they can cry. But worship is not primarily a feeling. Worship is a choice. Sometimes we have an idea that to say things that our feelings are, are primary in order for us to worship. Like, I got to feel the worship. No, you don't have to feel the worship in order to worship. 
If we don't feel it, it doesn't mean that we can't worship God either. That's why I say that worship is a choice, and it's not primarily a feeling. The Bible records for us about a man by the name of Job that in one day, in a 24-hour period of, of time, he lost his servants, he lost his livelihood, he lost all of his, his animals, he lost all of his family. And in that 24-hour period of time, Job was affected mentally and spiritually and physically. It even says that his body was covered with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And yet, what did Job still do? He worshipped God. Job was having a bad day. Job still worshipped God. His favorite worship song didn't come on the radio that day. He wasn't breaking out in praise and saying, oh man, this is so wonderful. But he still worshipped God. His small group that he met with that day, his friends came by and tried to offer some encouragement. And it really wasn't much of encouragement. But yet he still worshipped God. Not based upon his feelings, but a choice that he had made. Another thing that we find about worship is worship is not just music. It includes our whole relationship with God. Now, I love music. I love the music that we have here. I enjoy singing. I enjoy singing the songs that we sing here. But if that is all that our worship is about, then we've missed the point. Because worship is to include our entire life, our entire being, not just the music that we sing. We find throughout God's word that the book of Psalms was written. And these were Psalms, these were prayers that were uttered and they were used in worship. Some of those Psalms have things that deal with happy, joyous moments. And other times it has some real negative things as David cries out and says, Hey God, look at all these evil people that are just running after me and trying to get a hold of me. And he's He's pouring out his complaints to God, and yet that is a form of worship. And so it's not always just music uh, that we sing. Worship includes our whole relationship with God. It is our response with all of our being. You know, last week we looked at the fact of our relationship with God as it includes our, our strength and our heart and our soul and our minds. Well... All of that is necessary as well in order to worship God. Worship is our response to that. So when we love God with all of our strength, and love God with all of our soul, love God with all of our mind and, and our heart, when we do that, our worship is a direct response to loving God. We show God that he is worthy of our worship by being obedient to his words. We show that he is worthy of our worship by our relationships that we form in our life. We show our worship by uniting together as one, as the body of Christ. And so music is not just primarily about worship. Our worship includes our whole relationship with God. You see, as we meet together, we're not just declaring our individual worship with God. When we meet together, we are uniting together to exalt and magnify Jesus Christ. And so when we meet together, we say, God, you are worthy 
of our worship. And so we worship him in that. So worship is not just music. It involves our whole relationship with God. Another thing, worship is not an outward tradition, but an inward experience of the heart. One of the things that Jesus accused the people of doing was vainly worshiping him with their traditions. Can you say the word zero? You know what that is? Zero. (laughs) That's it. When I was in high school, I kind of had this idea thinking that if I showed up to class and I participated in class, I brought my books and I brought my pencil and I brought my paper, but yet I did not do any of the requirements of actually doing homework, that somehow I was going to get a good grade. You know what I got? A zero. And it took several of those zeros and a report card to finally say, hey, there's something to this. I need to actually participate in actually what they're asking me to do, a requirement of my worship. Listen to what Matthew chapter 15 has to say about this. Jesus speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 15 verses 3 through 9. He says this, he answered them and said, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles uh, father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, zero, do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. You see, I think this has been the struggle of worship. Sometimes we get so distracted by our traditions that we have in our worship that we don't really worship God at all. Because we are so preoccupied that things have to look a certain way. Things have to be placed a certain place. Things have to be said a certain way that we don't worship God. And so worship is not an outward tradition, but it's an inward experience of the heart. They were relying more on their outward traditions. They had worship rituals, but they didn't have spiritual fruit. I think traditions are fine. I have traditions in my family. You do as well. We have traditions. But spiritual fruit is much better than traditions. And so if we don't, are not producing spiritual fruit, then we must look and say, is my worship zero? Is it in vain? So it's not an outward tradition, but an inward experience of the heart. Listen to what Micah had to say about this. I believe that the, the Jews, they, they knew how to worship God. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, the whole book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy gives the instructions of how they are to worship God. But listen what Micah has to say about their worship. In Micah chapter number 6, verses 6 through 8, it tells us this. With what? 
shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn of my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You see, they had this idea, this thinking that it was just all in the experience of their worship, offering the rams, offering the the goats, offering all these offerings with all the oil, that God was somehow pleased with that. Isaiah tells us that God is fed up with their worship. Why? Because their heart was not in it. And so it's so primary that we don't focus on the traditions of our worship, But then we look primarily and say, am I being affected internally inside? Is my worship being transformed? Is it transforming my inside the heart? And so it's an inward experience of the heart. So what exactly is worship? Well, when we look in God's word, we find two words about worship. And here's what they mean. It means to bow down in respect or submission, to serve by making a sacrifice or by obedience to God's word. When you and I choose to actually worship God, this is what we are fulfilling. We are bowing down in respect or submission, and we are serving by making a sacrifice or in direct connection to the obedience of God's word. So as we look in God's word today, I believe that it will be very evident of what worship really is. So let's discover what is necessary for us in order to correctly worship God. We're going to look at a a very primary passage here in uh, John chapter number 4. If there's one thing that I think we should get right, I think we should have our worship correct. If we are going to worship God... We must have that correct. And there are some requirements that God makes in order for us to worship him. After all, I mean, one of these days, if you know Christ as your Savior, one of these days, whether you go through the door of death or Christ returns, we are going to worship the lamb that was slain. That's what we're going to do. So if we are going to worship God for all of eternity... We should learn how to worship him here and now and enjoy the worship that we should have with him. So if we're going to worship, we must get the right picture, the way that God describes what worship really is to us. Now, there are several things that describe our worship, such as prayer and teaching and fellowship as worship. You know, it's so important that we make devotion a priority in our lives. And all of this includes worship. Our prayer is seen as worship. Our devotion to Christ is seen as worship. Our fellowship that we have together is seen as a form of worship. It's all dealing with our spiritual health and it's necessary for our spiritual growth. Can I ask you a question? Are you in in bad spiritual health this morning? 
You say, Mike, come on, I'm here this morning. No, I didn't ask you if you're here. I'm asking you, are you in poor spiritual health? Is your worship right with God? Is it healthy? If your worship is not healthy with God, then you're not in good spiritual health. God doesn't give us rules about how long our prayers should be or how long our should devotions be. But what is the requirement? That we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. That's the requirement. So if those things are not meeting up, then we have poor spiritual health in our life. The New Testament gives us a good example of this. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 42, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And notice, here's their worship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46 through 47, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So our prayers, our devotion, our fellowship, that's an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 18 says, I have received full payment... And more, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, worship, acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9, 12, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. We also see that praise is an act of worship. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, it says, Through him, Jesus Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Singing is seen as an act of worship. And Colossians 3.16 tells us, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We are actually supposed to be singing and speaking to one another. Worship. I find it amazing sometimes when we gather together for worship, I'm so happy, here's the reason why Jesus took my sins away. (laughs) That's not worship. There's supposed to be worship in our life. Ephesians 5.19 says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. But all of these don't necessarily tell us exactly what worship should be. These are giving, our devotion, our prayer, our singing, our praise. These are mere outward expressions of our worship. 
So how do we understand what really worship, what it really is? We have to get to the heart of the matter. So let's take a look here. Worship, first and foremost, must be spiritual. In John chapter number 4, Jesus is talking to this woman at the well. Many of you know the story. Um, She comes there, draws the water out. Christ says, hey, I'm going to give you some living water. And she says, well, Lord, you know, uh, uh, where can I get this living water? And he talks to her and and tells her about uh, how she can have living water. And we find in this uh, passage of scripture, she talks about worship. And it's interesting about what Christ has to say about it. Listen to what John chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. It says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. This is the lady speaking. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. This was a Samaritan. But you say, Jesus, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to go and worship. <laughs> Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain... Or, in Jerusalem, will you worship the Father? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. There's one little word I want you to take notice of there, and it's the word must. This is absolutely essential to your life as a believer in Jesus. If you are going to worship God, you must, must worship him in spirit. you're going to worship God, there are some requirements. It must be in spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to worship God in spirit? Well, I believe this passage gives us some clues to that. It tells us that God is spirit. He's not flesh and bones. And we must worship him spiritually. It has everything to do with our heart attitude of worship. External things don't matter. If our heart isn't right, it does us no good to worship at the right place. Because here's this woman, she's saying, hey, we worship here in this mountain, but you say we got to go over to Jerusalem to worship. Jesus says, no, you're not getting the right picture here. If you're going to worship God... You must worship him in spirit. It's not a place. Now we have this place here on 15510 County Road 22, Middlebury, Indiana, 46540. We've designated this place where we meet together to worship. But is this the only place that you can worship God? No. And so if we are going to worship God, we must worship him in spirit. Spirit, our heart attitude must be right. It's not in the right place. It's not in the right with right rituals if our attitude isn't right. We can sing all the right songs that we want to. We can hold our hands in the correct way, in the correct response. 
But if our heart is not right, then there really isn't no real spiritual worship. Matthew 5, 8, 15, 18 says this way. Jesus said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Does our worship here, does it reflect the fruit of the Spirit as outlined in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23? Does our worship reflect love and joy and peace and patience and meekness and gentleness and goodness and faith and self-control? Or does it produce hatred and sorrow and anxiety and impatience and cruelty and sinfulness and godlessness and arrogance and wild behavior? Our worship must be correct. It must be spiritual. So if we are going to worship God, we must worship Him in spirit. I believe so much of our worship today is not in spirit. You say, how do you know that? Look at the text. Look what Jesus says. He says, God is searching for those who will worship him in spirit. That tells me something. That tells me that sometimes our worship is not in spirit. That tells me sometimes our worship is not done with the right heart attitude. That tells me sometimes that our worship is not done to actually exalt Christ, but sometimes to exalt ourselves. And so if we are going to worship, we must worship in spirit. Because God is seeking people that are willing to worship him with the right heart attitude in spirit. So not only is our worship must be spiritual, but let's look at a second thing. Our worship must be truthful. Look again, John chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. Look what Christ says about worship. It must be in truth. Now, Jesus really lays all of this out for this woman at the well. Look what he tells her. He says, you worship what you know. We worship what we know. And salvation is of the Jews, he tells her. We know the truth, Jesus is saying. But what is God really seeking after? He's seeking those who pursue him with the right heartitude and those who pursue after him with truth. Do we pursue truth? Do you pursue truth? I'm not asking you, do you pursue facts? I'm not asking you if you pursue what is politically correct. I'm asking you, do you pursue after truth in your life? It's the right heart attitude, and it's with truth. Do I pursue truth? What is truth? Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of John, chapter number 1, it says that we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of what? Truth. Jesus said in John, chapter 14, verse number 6, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life are we pursuing after truth in our life you see if you pursue after something that means that it has value it has worth i remember uh, when my wife and i were dating there were things that i would do i would buy her roses every single month a dozen roses boy she was the coolest girl at college she had roses from her boyfriend every single month sitting on her dresser in college. 
And guess what? After we got married, no more roses. (laughs) And she said, you lied to me. If something has worth, if it has value, you will pursue after it. What has more worth than Jesus Christ right now in your life? Is it your job? Is it relationships? Is it the acceptance of men? Is it the pleasures and the cares of this world? Is it the pride of life? What could be more important to you than the pursuance of Jesus Christ? And God says, if you are going to worship me, you must pursue after truth. It must be something that you pursue hard after in your life. And you run after it. Because it has worth. It has value. It's treasure that you are seeking after. In your life. If I'm not valuing him. If I'm not chasing after Jesus. If I'm not treasuring him. Above all things. Then I am not worshiping him. In truth. There really is an awesome aspect of this worship. In our lives. Because when we worship correctly. We actually behold God. We see his glory. We see his majesty. We see his splendor. And out of a heart attitude of praise, we worship him. Because he's worth it. Because we're pursuing after him. He's majestic. He is far above any principality and power. And he is almighty and he is the unchangeable God. And this truth is so important that God is seeking those who will do this. Because in the text it says that God is seeking after those who will pursue him with truth. That pursues hard after him. What's the scripture say? It says those that draw nigh to God, he will do what? Draw nigh unto them. But this truth is not only pursuing after Jesus, but it should transform the heart as well. And that leads me to my third point here. So worship must be spiritual, it must be truthful, but lastly, our worship must be sacrificial. Listen to what Romans 12, verse number 1 says. Paul here gives us a third way to correctly worship God, and that involves a sacrifice. It's not just any sacrifice, but he says it's a living sacrifice, you and me. This way he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, our correct response to this awesome salvation that we have is what Paul lays out for us in Romans chapter number 11. By the mercies of God, he talks about this salvation that we have in Christ. He says, by all of these mercies that Christ has given us, this awesome salvation that we have, what is the requirement for me now? He says that you present your body as a living sacrifice. That is hard. 
That is really hard. Dead sacrifice, no problem. Because it's not going anywhere. But that living sacrifice sometimes wants to crawl up off the altar and it wants to get up and dance around and it wants to do its own thing. And God says you have to put that living sacrifice, your life, on the altar for me and present yourself to me as a living sacrifice because that is acceptable. He says that is your spiritual worship. You see, worship is the giving of our entire selves, our thoughts and our emotions to God's use. Our worship is not centered on a time or a place. It's done whenever and wherever we are. I want to help you this morning, and please don't take this the wrong way. Please don't take this the wrong way. But if your worship, if your worship is only centered around 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, you have missed it. This is not just the, this is not the, the thing that we look forward to, like, I'm going to go to church so I can make it through the rest of the week. No. Your worship should extend through the entire week, and it should, it should culminate, it should come to a climax here, when we all worship together. Because we've been worshiping God throughout the entire week, presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And when we meet together, we speak to ourselves, speak to others with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, exalting one another, building unity with one another. And so we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God's use. Worship is to invade our entire lives, both public and private. It's not only what happens here at church, but it should what happens in the home. On the job. It should be our entire life. There's more to this giving of our entire self to God's use. You see, God just doesn't want just any living sacrifice. He has a requirement. And what is that requirement? God is not just looking for warm bodies. There's plenty of those around. What is he looking for? He is looking for sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to him. Mike, are you saying that there are requirements that God has to worship? Yeah, there is. Paul gives us this awesome word picture here by talking about these living sacrifices. You see, in the Old Testament, sacrifices were used with worship to God. The, the priest would come and, and he, the, the, he would come with, the, with a goat or, or some, uh, some bull and, and he, would, he would make a sacrifice. And it was so important and it was so holy to God that if that priest had some, some, some things that were not right in his life, read the book of Leviticus, it tells us, if there were some things not right in that priest's life and he were to go into the Holy of Holies, dead, gone says that they would put bells around his clothes because if you still heard the bells jingling, that means the priest was still alive. If the bells weren't jingling, something happened. Zero. And God is still serious about these sacrifices. And he says if we are going to have correct type of worship, 
There must be a spiritual side to this, and we present ourselves as a holy sacrifice before God. The animals that they would present could not have any blemish in them whatsoever. Leviticus records for us 12 blemishes that could render an animal unfit for a sacrifice. It could be anything from a club foot to um, some sort of a disease or the animal could have had a weird looking eye. I mean, it had to be perfect. So a blemish sacrifice meant that God would say it was an abomination and it would not be accepted. The priest thoroughly checked the animal. He thoroughly examined the animal. He took time examining it and making sure that that animal was was fit for worship. And if it passed all the requirements, then it could be used in worship. But Paul here in this passage is not talking about a sin sacrifice. Because that's already been done with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God without blemish, without spot. He was offered to God for our sins. And we understand that. We understand that Jesus paid for our sins once and for all and is set down at the right hand of the Father. But what about our spiritual worship now? Paul says that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It must be a holy sacrifice. It must be acceptable to God. So what is God looking for in our lives then? He is looking for holiness. How do we become holy? One of the questions that I received from uh, somebody around this area, an email that was sent to me, they were asking about holiness. What does it mean to be holy? How can I be holy? What does it mean to be holy? How can we be holy? Is holiness inward or outward? Is it what we do? Is it what we say? What does holiness stem from? Where does that come from? Listen to what Ephesians chapter 1 verse number 4 has to say. Ephesians chapter 1 verse number 4 says this, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy... And blameless before him, here's the key, in love. God sees us with his penetrating gaze. He sees exactly what we are on the inside. We can't hide. We can't cover up. We can't put on a facade. God sees our hearts exactly as they are before him. And if we are to be holy, we are to be holy before him in love. So where does holiness come from? By loving God. How do we love God? Loving his word. Being obedient to his word. Learning more about who he is. Being transformed from the inside out. That love produces an inner holiness inside of our lives. So if I'm going to be an acceptable, living sacrifice for God, 
There has to be holiness. There must be a love for God. God must be supreme. Loving Him with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. God thoroughly examines us with His penetrating gaze. And He looks right inside and says, Is that a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable for spiritual worship? I want to read to you what David said about this in Psalm 51. David put it this way. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. This is after David had sinned with Bathsheba. He'd been told of his sin. He realized that there needed to be some change, and there's a confession before God with all this. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. Verse number six, he says, Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David knew something about an inward holiness, and he knew that God had to thoroughly examine the inside of his heart. And so if I'm going to be a living sacrifice, if my, my worship is to be done sacrificially, there has to be an inward holiness that only comes by loving God supremely. So I ask you this morning, is your worship acceptable to God? Is my worship acceptable to God? Is our worship acceptable to God?